Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And this is the program that helps you turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and make your dreams come true. And we're in our 22nd or 23rd year here on Voice America, um, as well as other stations. But very happy to be here and very happy to talk to my guest today. Now, we're talking today about a time in history that was uh, some of us don't remember and uh, some of us weren't there or many of us weren't, was the Holocaust back in the late 30s and 40s. And there was a lot of scarring and damage done during that time to millions of people, beside Jewish people. And it, today, we think that everybody has, we're okay with it. But actually, we still have so much racism and bigotry and anti-Semitism, and we need to be reminded so that we really don't forget. And my guest today has written a book about her family. And let me tell you about Meryl. My guest is Ambassador Meryl Frank. She is the former mayor of Hillside, New Jersey. And no, did I say that right? Highland Park. Thank you very much. Um, The former mayor of Highland Park, New Jersey, and an instrumental player in the development and passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act. She has served in the leadership of many national and international organizations governing boards, including the president of the American Jewish Congress, Women's Division, Jewish Women International, and Sisterhood of Salam Shalom, and Warm Heart Worldwide, and the Connecting Group International. Merrill was appointed by President Biden to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council in May of 2022. She sits on the board of YIVO, the Institute for Jewish Research, and she's written this amazing book about her family called Unearthed. Welcome, Merrill. Thanks for having me. All right, so this is about, this is a thrilling mystery woven into a beautifully constructed family memoir. And it's, you uncovered this with your family, and then really um, to seek the truth of what happened during that time. And so what I'm going to ask you today is to share some of it and really its impact on you. How did you, first of all, find out about your family during this time? Well, Patricia, I don't remember a time when I didn't know what happened to my family. I was, at a very young age, I think that I was somehow designated as the one that would remember the history and pass it down through the generations. I was told stories from, as a very, very young child, my aunt would tell them to me. And I don't know if I was designated because, maybe because I was named for my grandmother. Her name was Meryl, which is a Yiddish name. Or if maybe I just listened more carefully, but I took the stories in and I would look at the photographs and they, we had a collection of old black and white photographs, the kind where the ancestors look very stern and, and serious. But there was one, my cousin actress, Franya Winter, who, who didn't look like that. She was alive. She looked like she was fun and she looked like you could really understand who she was. She was dressed in different costumes and she was, she looked like she was a riot. She was, um, she seemed to be in color, even though the photographs were in black and white. 
And I always wanted to know more about her. But when I would ask, they would tell me about her life that they knew. And then when I would ask what happened to her, they'd say, she didn't make it. And they'd say, say, they're all gone. And so there was silence. And I did take it upon myself to do research and to find out as much as I could about my family and about her. And it wasn't until I was an adult that my aunt gave me a book. It was called 21 and 1. It was about 22 actors who died in the Vilna ghetto. Mm. And she showed me a photograph of Franya in the book, but it was in Yiddish and I couldn't read it. She gave me the book and she said, I want you to take this book. I want you to keep it, pass it down to your children, but don't ever read it. Mm. Mm. Wow. So you didn't for a long time. I didn't. What prompted you to then say, no, I'm going to break that and open it up? Well, I didn't break it. You know, I. it wasn't until eight years ago when I got an email from the Memorial de la Shoah, which is the Holocaust Museum in Paris, saying that they someone brought in 50 photographs of an actress in costume and her family. And did I know who they were? They spent five months looking for me. Hmm. And of course I did. I flew off to France and I saw the photographs and I realized this needed to be a book. Mm. And they also had heard that I had a copy of 21 and 1, and they offered to translate it for me. And But I said, no, no, I'm not allowed to read it. Mm. So I decided I would do this research without reading. Here was a copy of a book that had her biography and her fate, and I didn't read it. I decided that I would do my own research and find out as much as I could without, without you know, I was respecting my aunt's wishes not to read it, but I thought, she didn't tell me not to do research. So I sort of was a backdoor way and also a much longer route to find out what happened. So what happened with the book itself? Did they translate it? Did they keep it? What happened with the book? I have the book and I didn't read it um, for five years into the research on this book. I had planned to take a two-year sabbatical to write it and it turned into seven years. Mm. But what I was able to find was information at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research that had been buried beneath the ground of the ghetto. Mm. You know, the inmates understood that they had to preserve Jewish heritage and they may not live, but they wanted the documents preserved. Mm. And after the war, the few of them that did survive went and dug it up. And I believe one of them was a theater historian because they kept theater documents also. And I found her actor's union card, and I found her in playbills. And it's just remarkable what was kept. How, how old was she when, uh, you know, when she was in the ghetto and when she perished? Was she in her 20s and her 30s? She was about 40. Okay. So she, yeah. had a, she, she had was a in her 40s. Career. career. Absolutely. You know, when I was told that she was a famous actress, I didn't believe them. I thought that's just a family, you know, how we tell stories. But when I got to Vilna, which is now Vilnius, and I spoke with people that knew about theater, they said, oh, absolutely. If you knew Yiddish theater, you knew Franja Winter. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting the information on her and really digging in the archives mm-hmm. in Vilnius and finding information on her. And then I looked in for newspapers that were published in Yiddish and Russian and Polish mm-hmm. and found articles about her and reviews of her work. And I was learning 
even more about her. I mean, I already was was entranced by her, but I fell in love with her after reading all of this. Well, it's interesting because you're in the public eye too in a different way. Yes. Do you relate to her at all? I mean, do you see yourself in some of what you read about her? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because I had always identified with my grandmother, Meryl, who I never met. But I was told I was a tzatzkala like her. I was I was um, funny and, and daring. And she so, was... She the sister of your grandmother. No, this is my grandmother who I identified with. Ah, right. And... But when I started learning about Franya performing, I realized that I do too. I perform and that she was in some ways a patron of the art. She would have artists and poets and writers to her home. And she was a host. And and I always saw myself that way. When I was mayor, I would want to bring people together and bring them to our home mm. and kind of like a Jewish mother to a, an entire population. But I think she had these qualities also. So she was a cousin. Yes. Tanya was a cousin. How was that? Was it a first cousin, a second cousin? What, who she, was, she was married to my mother's first cousin. So my grandmother Merrill's sister had a son named Isaac who was married to Franya Winter. Let's see. Okay. Right. So she wasn't a blood relative. No, she was not. But she is, we call it, is mishpucha. She's family. Mm -hmm. The Jewish concept of family is broader, a little bit broader than, we don't really have an English word to describe what it is. Yeah. So what, as you started writing this book, and you said it has to be a book, what were some of the insights that you discovered that maybe surprised you or that really touched you? Well, what I learned about her was uh, what I loved that I learned was that she, every account of her talked about her kindness. And I think kindness is very important. One of them said she was beloved above all. That was in a Russian book. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. As I said, I also learned that she was an important actress and I didn't know that. The things that I learned that were most shocking were how they made it um, as long as she did through the ghetto and then her life afterwards. I was able to track her through a testimony that I found. This was before I read the book. I found a testimony about, it said, actress Franja Winter fighting the Nazis and the Nazis killing her. You know, when my aunt said, don't read the book, I didn't understand why. I thought, well, either her death was horrible, or maybe she did something shameful to stay alive, or maybe she was a collaborator. I didn't know. So I was finding out that she fought the Nazis and gave me at least some relief that she wasn't a collaborator. Mm. Oh, but I, I, remember, would... I want to ask you this, because during that war, I believe that Hitler would let some of the Jewish performers perform so that it looked like he was really, that they were okay. So he would save some of them. They'd have to go back into the camps, but they would come out and perform. Was she one of them? She lived in the Vilna ghetto and the Vilna ghetto was very famous for their Yiddish theater. Yes, in fact, they did promote the idea of a Yiddish theater. And some of the people there said, you don't have theater on a graveyard, but they changed their mind when they saw how important it was that it was a few moments that people were out of their misery. One of the survivors that I spoke to said the theater was like a miracle. 
it could take them out of where they were. And the Yiddish theater in Vilna was the way that Warsaw Ghetto is known for their resistance. The Vilna community was known for their spiritual resistance. That is, they believed that in art and theater and literature, and they had symphonies, and they believed that they could take everything away from you but your mind and your spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is how they they stayed alive. Well, I mean, didn't Viktor Frankl write about that? That's he, right. You know, they can take everything from you, but they can't take your thoughts. And, That's right. and I believe he wrote that what kept him alive was the memory of his wife, the love that he kept thinking about. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, for these people, most of them did not survive. Mm-hmm. But those moments that they had to be in another place psychologically, yeah. it was relief. It was respite from the horrors that they were seeing every day. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to Meryl Frank about her amazing family memoir called Unearthed, about what she learned about her family who did not survive the concentration camps in the Holocaust and what she gained from that, why she wrote this, why she feels it's really important to share this now, um, 75 years later. And we'll be back with Meryl right after the break. This is Patricia Raskin for the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You 
you are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. My guest is Ambassador Merrill Frank. She was former mayor of, tell me, Merrill. Highland Park, New Jersey. I have this hillside in my head. (laughs) Highland Park, New Jersey. And she's an instrumental player in the development and passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act. She has served in the leadership on many national and international organization governing boards, such as President of the American Jewish Congress, the Women's Division, and many others. Most recently, she was appointed by President Biden to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council in May of 2022, and she sits on the board of the Institute for Jewish Research. And she has written an amazing memoir about her family and one of the famous actors in her family, a woman um, by the name of Franya. And the book is called Unearth. And it really is a beautiful memoir, and it really shares uh, everything that she learned and what she wants to pass on. Meryl, one of the things we talked about during the break is what do we tell our children? You know, why is this important to live on for our children? Well, you know, when I was growing up, people didn't talk about it very much. I think they didn't want to scare their children. And parents parents want to insulate their children from from things that are scary. In my case, I was determined that my children know. So I spoke about the Holocaust all the time. I really overdid it, I think. Um, But I saw everything through that lens growing up with this background of of hearing. And, you know, children know whether you talk about it or not. They know that there's a secret. And I think that they're even more interested in that. But I was determined that my children understand. And I took them to the place where my family was from, Vilnius, Lithuania, and showed them my, my, I have four children. My oldest was 15. My youngest was seven and showed them the city and the house that my grandparents lived in. And as they were walking down the street, we noticed that they were walking on Hebrew letters. They were gravestones, Jewish gravestones that they had used Mm. to pave the sidewalks. So my children got a feeling for horror very early on. And and what I learned later, I you know, I interviewed my children for this book. I wanted it to be unique as a Holocaust book. So many of the Holocausts end with either the person surviving or not surviving. But mine doesn't end there. I, I can tell your audience that Franya does not survive. But it doesn't end. That's where I say, so we have this information. What do we do with it? And what do we tell our children? And I was determined that my children know that the world isn't always a beautiful place and that they they understand that. But I asked them as adults, how did it affect them? And my two daughters told me that they played the Holocaust game when they were children. I had no idea about this. I didn't they, even know that existed. They they played a game where they would take their animals, their stuffed animals, and hide under the covers and say, they're coming, they're coming, hide. Mm. And I was horrified. I mm. thought that I had damaged my beautiful little girls and 
I felt like a horrible mother. And my daughter said, no, no, this, that, that, it wasn't like that. It was like a boogeyman game. When kids are afraid of something, they play it out. And I said, did I make you paranoid? Did I make you afraid of your neighbors? And they said, absolutely not. But what I did make them understand was that they had to be vigilant and they had to be aware of injustice when it's happening. And they said, all four of the children said that I did something that I didn't know I was doing. And, and believe me, my kids are great. I'm not sure it has anything to do with my parenting. But they said that I said to them, when you see injustice, you have to stand up and you have to speak out. And they said what it did for them is that gave them a sense that they had some power, that they could do something. Because I understand from speaking with psychologists and social workers that it can go one of two ways. A, a child being hearing about all of this horror without an outlet, it can be debilitating. It can be paralyzing. But when they're given something that they can do, that they, they are part of the solution, that that helps with sort of a healthy development, knowing that mm -hmm. these sort of things happen. You know, the, we Jews have been telling our children these stories forever. You know, that there's a joke that we tell about our holidays are, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's at Hanukkah, we talk about um, the Greeks trying to kill us. At, at um, Purim, we talk about the same thing. At Passover, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, but we don't have to go 3,000 years ago to talk about about what's happening, what happened 80 years ago. And what's happening now, there's a tremendous increase in the rate of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic acts and language. Uh, yes, and, and I just want to go back to something with your children for a minute, because I think what it taught them is um, that it's okay to talk about these things and that they do exist. And instead of being scared, giving that awareness so that they have some, as you said, some power and some control to fight against it or to stand up for it. Or um, And you taught them that at a young age. Yes. And my children all said that they learned that it wasn't exclusive to the anti-Semitism and the Jewish people, but they learned to speak out when they see injustice anywhere. Yeah. And in their generation, they're very afraid of climate change. Mm -hmm. And it applies to that also. It's horrifying to them. Yeah. So they know they have to speak out and, and take some action. Well, also too, Meryl, I think because you were a mayor of a town, of, of, you know, a fairly large town in Jersey, they watched that. I mean, they saw a mother who yes. was there fighting for issues for her townspeople. So that's another whole piece. That's and right. The next question is, how does that all fit, that role that you played then, even though you're not there now, how does that all tie into what you did as mayor of Highland Park? I think that everything that I've done in my life, all of the the programs that I've worked on, all that have to do with so have had to do with social justice and have had to do with that the root is the Holocaust. You know, my Aunt Molly made it very clear to me that I needed to do this, that I needed to work to make life better mm -hmm. and to assure that things didn't happen like this. Now that is an enormous burden for a child. And But I felt that burden my entire life. And so as mayor, it was very clear that this was about making life better for people. And even as ambassador for women's issues, 
these were issues, you know, we talk about the condition of women around the world. They were, it's all part of the same struggle. You know, I spent time in Afghanistan and in Kenya with refugees from Somalia and Sudan and, and Congo. And, you know, I saw women come off of the desert with bare feet holding babies mm. and thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. I can't do anything about the Holocaust, but I can do, I can do something to help people's lives now. Mm. What I didn't realize, though, was it wasn't until writing this book that I really was able to come to terms with this, with this Holocaust heritage. Mm. And I found that writing this book was really what I was supposed to do. Mm. And there's a tremendous amount of healing that comes with that. Yeah, you're the pastor, you're the catalyst or facilitator, you're passing on the word. And you feel I, like it was really your job to do this. This was what you were chosen to do, if you will. That's right. It's that. And it's also, they were meant to be wiped off the face of the earth. They were meant to be erased. And the work that I did um, through this book is to give them their humanity back and give them their dignity back and to say that they lived. Mm. And that is so important. That's just so important. Well, because they live on through this. That's right. Just like all of our, you know, forebearers. I mean, we talk about them all the time as though they're still here. That's right. You know, there's also a context that it provides. I don't know if you or your your listeners ever watch Henry Louis Gates' Finding Your Roots. Oh, I was going to mention that to you. I just watched it recently. It's It's a fabulous show. Have you been on No, I wasn't. But every one of the celebrities cries. And I was thinking about why do they cry? And I think it's because knowing your your background gives a context to your life. Yeah, and you can start to understand why things happened, and and even forgive, and find some healing in it. And I think that this is the reason why every single one of his guests cries. Yeah, but I also think there's something that's passed down in the genes from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, look at what you done for a living and then go back and look at what your family has done and maybe in a different form but many times you can trace it back oh absolutely my aunt who told me these stories was a a history teacher a union activist Mm. and an art dealer so here it brings together you know my appreciation of all of that um into this book and i am so pleased that i was able to do this for them this is really wonderful how can people get the book the book is available at all book vendors. It's available online. And um, I understand that it's in every Barnes & Noble that I've I've contacted or people have contacted me from all over the country. Wonderful. And it's available online at Amazon or local booksellers. Um, my son found it in his local bookstore in Seattle. And so I'm, I'm thrilled with the reviews that it's getting and the attention because it's an important subject. And it's a little bit of a different take on it. Also, uh, I have a website, and that's merylfrank.com, M-E-R-Y-L-F-R-A-N-K.com. And they can purchase it through there and find out more. There's photographs. There's reviews. There's all sorts of information there. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Meryl Frank uh, right after the break. We'll talk more about the book Unearthed and about what she learned about her roots and how she's passing that on and how important the message is and why that message is so important in today's world. 
Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Millions of people do not have children. Around the world, becoming a parent may be an unrealized dream and increasingly a deliberate choice. Yet our experiences remain largely unacknowledged across cultures, families, and friendships. Unconscious bias in public and workplace policy, media narratives, and educational content often renders us invisible. New Legacy Radio reveals these missing stories through the perspectives of our community and allies as we work to achieve meaningful change that recognizes our true and diverse experiences. New Legacy Radio, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hi, everyone, and we are back. We are talking to author Meryl Frank. Her book is Unearthed, and it is an amazing um, memoir. It's a family memoir, and it's about her journey to seek the truth about a beloved and revolutionary cousin, a celebrated actress in Vilna before World War II, and to answer the question of how the next generation should honor the memory of the Holocaust. Meryl Frank is a former mayor of Highland Park, New Jersey, got that right. And she's an instrumental player in the development and passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act. She served on many boards and uh, Governor uh, President Biden has appointed her to the US Holocaust Memorial Council in May of 2022. And she sits on the board of the Institute for Jewish Research as as well as many other boards and activities. Welcome back, Meryl. Thank you. All right. so. This is loaded, but I need to ask, you were in politics, you know, you saw what was happening, and you see what's happening now. And there's a lot of very negative discourse, there's a lot of bullying, there's a lot of um, 
untruths and people are, it's a, it's a tough time. And there's also still a lot of racism and anti-Semitism. I mean, you'd think, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. But still, so I kind of want your, I'd like to get your perspective on where you see us now from a political point of view, but also from um, this whole point of view of the Holocaust and, you know, how we as humankind can come together more and not be fighting each other so much, and kind of what's your perspective, particularly after you wrote this memoir? Well, I think one thing that we have to consider and be very serious about is people using the Holocaust as a tool, a political tool. So very often, if something is bad, they'll say it's a Holocaust, or if a person is bad, he's Hitler, or it's fascism. Mm-hmm. When in fact, mm-hmm. you know, this they're using this and playing with something yeah that really was very serious. Um, This is a genocide. And in fact, we do have genocides happening now. So it it is more appropriate to use it for that. Mm. But we have people that are throwing around these terms that clearly don't understand the seriousness and the scale that we're talking about. Not every horrific situation is a Holocaust. Um, But this is something that I think that we have to take seriously. I also think that in the last maybe 10 years, the way that the discourse in politics has changed is is scary to me because people are allowed to say things now that they weren't allowed to say previously. And when someone when something is is prohibited, it's because there's a reason. The scary thing to me is that when you suddenly are allowed to say racist, anti-Semitic remarks, it becomes legitimate. When we have our leaders saying things that are are racist or anti-Semitic, it becomes legitimate and people then feel that it's okay to do that. And some people feel that it's okay to take act, to act. Mm -hmm. And we know that the increase in anti-Semitism has been manyfold over the last years. Yeah. And there can only be one reason for that. I, and there may be a movement and, and maybe leaders are taking sense that there's a movement and they want to be at the head of that and that this movement is fueled by hatred. But we know what happens when hatred goes unchecked. And we know that these sort of movements are filled with lies. And we've seen this happen before. You know, when Hitler did come to power, he was not taken seriously. And people thought, oh, this will go away. This is not so important. He's just, he's some doof. It's, it's, we're not going to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. And even when he took over the Reichstag, people were then saying, oh, well, we'll give him a little bit of power. It's not going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And then he started talking about fake news. And he started talking about um, different groups of people that, that, were subhuman or were, mm-hmm. you know, were not important. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this happen because people will pick up on it when a leader is saying and say this is legitimate. And so we need to, the entire Holocaust was preventable. Mm-hmm. It was preventable if people stood up and acted against it, but they didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just for those who, we're not Jewish that didn't take it seriously to stop. Even Jews couldn't believe that this could happen. 
you know, my own relatives didn't leave because they, they didn't believe that anything like this could happen. And that's one of the reasons why we have to be vigilant yeah. and we have to call it out when it happens. And it, whether it happens to our people or to other people, we have to take action and take it seriously. Hiding our head in the sand to the horrors in the world doesn't help anything. Yeah, and it's it's a very um, it's insidious, which is something that you that's can, exactly right. Yeah, because what happens is then you're right; it becomes okay. And the other thing that I think is disturbing is that we're hearing it more and more. So it's really infectious, more that's and right. more. And people are saying things, and then they're saying things that are really untrue. But then the problem is, what's truth? So now we have, you know, lawsuits and again, well, what's really true? And mm -hmm. then lawyers twist it and then people, do, I mean, it's, it's really, I think I can understand how it's confusing, but is kind of what you said, we have to look at, you know, the dignity and the decency, because if we think nothing can happen, even in our country, you know, the bedrock of democracy, it, it's fragile. Right? That's it's right. fragile. It's well, we've learned over the last few years how fragile it is and that we have to fight for it. We have to make sure that we are taking stands, that we are calling people out when they are threatening our democracy. And it's just so important. You know, here we are, this great experiment with different kinds of people, and we can show that we can live together. But if it can happen in America, if we're having these problems here, and the problem of anti-Semitism in Europe is much worse, but we need to we need to take a stand. What were some things that you did when you were mayor in which you took a stand and you saw results? Well, it was very important to me to bring good government to our community. I ran against a two-term incumbent of my own party, who was the establishment Democrat, very similar to the power Democrats in my area. And I ran as a Democrat, but ran on good government, because it was very important to me that people feel that they mattered in their community. And not just feel, that they actually were, that they, that they did matter in their community. And so I ran on this platform of good government. And that means that we worked and we changed laws so that, and we had anti-nepotism. We had um, it very clear with political fundraising, who was giving to whom. And I was able to bring in people in my community to become involved. And one of the ways that I did that was to go out, you know, we often say the door is open. It's not enough sometimes. You have to go out and bring people in. And I remember speaking to um, to some parents about getting involved, and they said, well, we don't really have anything to get involved with. And they happened to be from India. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. And she said that she dances, that she's very involved in Indian dance. I said, well, this is amazing. Yes, would you contribute that? And then the father worked with rare gems. Well, how interesting is that? You know, every person that I spoke with had something they could contribute. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the diversity in our community was our strength. It was the most important thing that we had. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we had flags put throughout the town 
saying welcome in different languages. I wanted people to come through the town and know that they were welcome here. Mm. We put all of the emergency information in different languages. So if you called, you could choose a language. The, the most common second language in my community was Chinese, actually. Um, and then Spanish and Russian and, and some African languages. But this was a town that spoke 70 languages, seven zero. And I wanted, I desperately wanted people to feel that this was their community because I believe in democracy and opportunities. And we brought people in from all different aspects of the community into our party. And it went from being something that was just a couple of people and their husbands and wives and cousins, the Democratic Party in my town, to people from every different aspect of the community. And that is, I think, a tremendous accomplishment. When were you there? I was there from 2000 to 2010. And that's when I was appointed by President Obama as ambassador to the UN Commission on the Status of Women. Well, when we come back after the break, I really want to talk about how all of this has impacted you and your life and what you think the message is and what you think, you know, we really need to be doing next to talk to our children and to stand up for our rights um, for everyone, you know, race, right. um, gender, all of it. And we're kind of faced with all of that right now. It's all right in our face. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to talk about that when we come back. Okay. So my guest today is Meryl Frank, and her memoir is Unearthed. Uh, she's an ambassador, retired ambassador. She's the former mayor of Highland Park, New Jersey. And she was an instrumental player in the development and passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act. She's been on many organizations, including many Jewish organizations. She was appointed by President Biden to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council in May of 2022. And she sits on the board of the Institute for Jewish Research. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And we'll be right back. told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hi everyone and we are back and we are talking with meryl frank who wrote an amazing family memoir called Unearthed, and it is a thrilling mystery that is woven into a beautifully constructed family memoir, and it's her journey to seek the truth about her beloved and revolutionary cousin, a celebrated actress in Vilna before World War II, and to answer the question of how the next generation should honor the memory of the Holocaust. And Meryl Frank is an ambassador retired. She's the former mayor of Highland Park, New Jersey, and she was an instrumental player in the development and passage of the Family and Medical Leave Act. She served on many uh, organizational governing boards, president of the American Jewish Congress, Women's Division, Women uh, Jewish Women International, Sisterhood of Salam Shalom, and Wormhout Worldwide in the Connecting Group International. She was appointed by President Biden to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council in May of 2022 and also sits on the board of YIVO, the Institute for Jewish Research. So welcome back, Meryl. Thank you. All right. So in this final segment, let's look at, um, you know, everything that's going on. Why do you feel this book is so important now? And what is your hope for the message of this book? Well, there are uh, several messages. and. Right now, it's very clear that we are in a time when there is increasing anti-Semitism and less of an understanding of what happened and the reality of what happened, questioning um, about what happened during World War II. And I think that for there are personal things here, too. The personal message is that I wanted to give them back, my cousins who were murdered, give them back their humanity. They were meant to be erased. And I wanted to give them back their humanity and their dignity to say that they lived and they died. And we need to take a lesson from this. And so there's a cautionary tale in every book about the Holocaust. What is unique about mine is then going on to talk about, okay, we say never again. What does that mean? And what do we tell our children? And so really the message, the message that I think that people take home is, how do we talk about this? You know, what does silence mean? How do we tell our kids that the world isn't always a beautiful place? And that can have to do with anti-Semitism, racism. It can have to do with climate change. It can do with things that are happening all over the world, in Ukraine, elsewhere. 
telling them what the world looks like and at the same time not horrifying them. You know, it, it is, this is reality. And so it's important that they understand that there are threats to their existence. You know, we as parents, we tell our kids not to run into the street, right? We tell our kids not to do things that are dangerous. It's in the same vein that we need to tell them about what's happening around the world. And oftentimes you may think they're not listening. But I learned from interviewing my children as adults that they were listening. Mm -hmm. And I think giving them a sense that they have some agency, that they have some power, mm -hmm. that they sh need to call out injustice when they see it that they need to be part of the solution is just so important. And it's empowering for them as well. It's not just that they need to know that things are happening and have happened, but that they need to be part of the solution. How do you feel they should do this? Should they be writing to their senators and congressmen and mayor? Um, should they be forming groups, all of the above? You know what? I think that they do it in the way that they know how. Some people, their way of expression is art. And so they might be writing music, they may be drawing. Other people may find that they have a job in whatever, but they're going to serve their community. And so it can be, it can be in any way that they feel comfortable. Some people feel comfortable speaking out, some don't. But that doesn't mean that you can't take a stand. And whether it's your profession or your um or part just part of your life in your community. That's important that you become part of the solution and that you not remain quiet because that's when we have a problem. The silence is the problem. Mm. Yeah. And we've been taught that, right? We've been taught be quiet, keep your mouth shut, don't aggravate people. I mean, a lot of people are taught that growing up. Right. And what you're saying is we really have to change that narrative. Particularly women, they're told to stay quiet. And we know from political life that women who enter politics are women that are angry about something. And so they can't stop themselves from speaking out. Mm. Um, and oftentimes it has something to do with school, but, but we need to participate in our democracy. Mm. And it's the only way that this can survive is that we understand that we live in diverse communities. We have everyone in the community can bring treasures to it and we take the, the nastiness out of politics. You know, there was a time in politics when, when I was involved, for example, that Republicans and Democrats could get along. It was, I always thought of it like it was another religion. <laughs> you know, it was a, a worldview, but we can talk. It's, it's like, I am Jewish. I can speak with my Christian neighbor or my Muslim neighbor, and it doesn't have to come to, to, to a battle. But politics now has become so violent polarized and polarized yes yeah. and polarizing and i think that we need to take a step back and see our if we call them opponents as human beings who have a different worldview mm -hmm. and take a step back and say so what is what is the reason that they see the world like this mm -hmm. and how can we help each other yeah. rather than than all the nastiness right. meryl what is your hope for the book I don't want to see this just sitting on shelves. I want people to read it and I want them to learn about what happened in history. It's very, there's a lot of history in this book. I want them also to know that they can do the same thing. If they want to find out about their history, 
that there's a tremendous amount of information out there that they can, first, of course, you start with a family tree, and then you tell the stories, you fill the family tree out with stories, and that they can do it too. And I am so pleased that so many people that have read it have said, I think I'm going to try to do this too. I want to tell our story. And then, as I said before, my dream for it is that there's a message here that we fight hate when we see it, that we understand what happens when hate goes unchallenged, and that people step up and don't let this happen. Don't let this happen again and understand what's happening now in the world and fight just to to correct it. Ms. Fair, thank you very much. Very powerful, very enlightening and inspiring interview. Thank you, Meryl. Thank you. Tell us again how people can get the book. They can. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble online, Bookshop, which is independent bookstores online. And it's also available in your neighborhood bookstore. All right. Thank you. Stand the line for a minute. All right, everyone. That wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Program. Um, To find me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Uh, I've interviewed about 5,000 people in my career, and so now I help people create their own podcasts. So I can certainly help you. We really want to keep getting positive messages out. So contact me, Patricia, PatriciaRaskin.com. And you can like me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.